Well, good morning again. You guys doing good? Still awake? You were agreeing in prayer? You didn't fall asleep? No? Good, good. All right. No, I, I was agreeing in prayer, and one of the last things she said is that we would be changed this morning, that we'd become more like Christ. And I say amen to that. Um, that's, that's where we're kind of headed in my message this morning is, is that I want to be trimmed and transformed into purity. I want to be pure. I want to be holy just as he is holy. There's things in my life that I'm, I'm looking at uh, recently that God has just kind of put in a spotlight and saying, Ryan, is this completely pure in your life? And that's kind of what I'm, when I preach on Sunday mornings, I'm often preaching to myself. I hope I'm not just preaching out here and pointing the finger. It's most of the time I'm preaching like this. And so this morning's some of that again. Um, and so I'm looking forward to sharing with you some things. Um, one of the first things I kind of mentioned already, uh, the word or the vision that God gave me for this year was that word prepare from 1 Peter 1.13. It says, prepare your hearts and minds for action. And this idea of prepare, I gave a whole bunch of sermons on prepare, and that was months ago. And so the Lord's kind of been stirring this up in my heart again. And just one thing I want to highlight this morning is this idea of prepare. If you made it almost a hyphenated word, prepare. Pre, I think most of us know what that pre means, right? Like beforehand, pre. You guys everyone know that word? Pair. Um, I think of uh, the first time, I think my wife was the first one that told me that we had a knife. I'm like, what is this little knife? She's like, it's a pairing knife. I'm like, a pairing knife? Um, but it's, it's for pairing. What does pairing do? It cuts. It trims. And, and that idea of that I want to be prepared. I want my heart to be soft and pre-cut. Or was that pre-softened margarine, right? All those things. This idea that my, my heart is already soft and pliable and moldable in God's hands. That it doesn't take some huge event in my life to shake and rattle me and get me to a place where I'm broken. I want to be completely broken all the time. I just want to be yielded. That no matter whenever I do something at the slightest way that could be offensive to God, my heart is so yielded that I'm like, oh God, forgive me. Oh God, I, I, I didn't want to do it. Oh God. And I, I guess for me, I'm sharing, God's been highlighting some things where I didn't realize I wasn't walking in purity, and it's been something that I kind of excused. Something I kind of just, ah, well, it's no big deal. Like, I'm better than most people. <laughs> and that doesn't fly with God, right? If I want to be like Christ, then my standard is perfection. My standard is not comparing to anybody else on this planet. And so I'm like, huh, okay. Uh, so I'll even, without giving you a lot of specifics, I'll even give you an example. Uh, this last week, we got to go on vacation. We got to go to Yosemite. Maybe you saw some pictures of that. We had a great time, my family and I. So thank you for allowing us to get away and do that. Um, we went on some great hikes and got to uh, swim in whatever, snow melt water and all those fun things. And, um, uh, but there was a time, I don't even know if it was, in fact, it might have been after we got back home from vacation. Um, my wife made a comment and in that comment, I threw it off. I was like, ah, whatever. You know, like, no big deal, whatever, you know. And I don't know if it was that same day. It might have been even the next day. In fact, I think it was. The next day, Holy Spirit brought that comment back up into my mind and said, Ryan, if your wife can't correct you, who can correct you? I was like, oh, jeez. Like, that was a harsh, God. Like, it wasn't that big of a deal. Like, it was a small little thing. It's not a big deal. And I'm, I'm arguing with the Holy Spirit. Like, it's not a big deal. Where's that one going to lead, right? Uh, I don't have much hope in that argument, right? I am not a good, I've told you before, I'm not a good lawyer. I'm not a good lawyer. I cannot argue well. And so I was like, oh, shoot. Okay, you're right. But I had to go through a process of, 
of owning it. It wasn't just like, okay, she was right, I'm wrong. No big deal. Because if I'm honest, I'll share this. Um, I grew up with a mom who ingrained this in me as a kid. I had to say it over and over again. I had to say these words. I was never allowed to say, sorry. That, that never flew in my household growing up. If I did something that was wrong, I never got to say sorry. I had to say and look at the person that I offended or did something wrong. I had to look in their eyes and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? I had to say that whole statement. I had to say I was wrong thousands of times growing up. I had to say that. So it was just ingrained in me, I'm wrong. And so growing up, I thank God for that because it did become a little bit easier. In marriage, I would say, I was wrong, babe. I'm sorry, I was wrong. And she's like, and it kind of took her back. Like, you're going to say you're wrong? Don't you want to defend yourself? I'm like, no, I was wrong. And so... um, and so it got hard. I modeled for her, okay, we have to say that we're wrong sometimes. And that was harder for her because she didn't grow up the same way. It just was wrote in me. And I realized over the last almost 20 years of being married to her, if I'm honest, it's not because I've become more and more pure and holy, but over the last 20 years, I think I've said it less and less. I'm wrong. And I can say, oh, it's because I'm becoming a pastor and because I'm, I'm learning this thing of marriage and I'm learning how to get better at this baloney. It's because I've not been practicing it. I've not actually been saying I was wrong and owning things where I've been wrong. I've been defending myself. And the Holy Spirit just this last week was like, Ryan, let's put a spotlight on this. And so this is kind of where we're going this morning is I want to be trimmed deep in my heart, who I am, who Ryan is. I welcome God's discipline. I want him, God's word says that he disciplines those whom he loves. So I'm like, well, he, I know God loves me. So God, discipline me. Come bring the correction. But I want to be prepared for the correction. Because I think if I'm honest, if I go back over the last several years, there's been times the Holy Spirit probably was trying to correct me, but I blew it off. I blew it off as it's not a big deal. Like it's not a big sin. It's not this big issue. So why am I spending time on it? Because it's not a big deal. But the reality is, if my heart was pre-cut, if my heart was prepared for correction, it wouldn't take very much for the Holy Spirit to say, hey, Ryan. It wouldn't take some big thing, like a statement like, if your wife can't correct you, who can correct you, right? That was a little bit harsher and brash and kind of slap on the face, where I don't want it to get to that point. I want it to be that it's just the smallest thing that is offensive to God. I want it to break my heart. I want to be so pure and holy. I've said this phrase several times since I've been a pastor, is that Jesus is returning for a beautiful and radiant bride. And I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. But there's there's something about this. I, I connect this idea of being beautiful and radiant is that we are powerful. We're walking in all the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is abounding, all these things. And that's true. But then I went back to the verse where it talks about that, and I'm sorry, Chelsea, I'm probably nowhere in line with where this is, but in Revelations, we find it in my notes here somewhere. In Revelations chapter 19, verse 7 and 8, it says this, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is... The righteous acts of the saints. So we are to make ourselves ready. 
As the bride of Christ, it says that she has prepared herself or made herself ready. She's adorned. That word prepared, you can translate it lots of ways. Um, like I said, I'm, this morning I'm doing that prepare, that pre-cut, that pre-softness, that, that I, I'm, I'm yielded and broken before the Lord. But this idea is, it could also be translated adorned or beautified or radiant. Um, uh, I love this idea uh, from 1 Peter 1.13 where we say, um, prepare your hearts and minds for action. In New King James, it says, gird the loins of your mind. And that's not really... Li- Language we use nowadays, gird the loins of your mind. What does that mean, right? So we just use prepare your heart and mind. Um, but this idea of gird, that's the idea that they had those robes, right? We talked about this before. And to gird, they would have to get ready to run. They didn't want to trip. So they would grab their robe and tuck it into their rope and their belt. And they would be girded, ready or prepared for action, to go do something. And so other translations, like the message or the passion translation, they kind of give notes where they say this idea of prepare can also be in our modern vernacular. It could be um, roll up your sleeves. Get ready to deal with things. So I want the, my heart, I want to roll up the sleeves of my heart that I'm ready for you, God, to do whatever you need to do. Surgery. Let's go, let's go find some things that need to be worked on, God. Let's find some areas in my life where I'm not 100% pleasing to you. I'm ready for you to search my heart and find those things that aren't beautiful and radiating the glory that I'm supposed to be radiating as the bride of Christ that you're coming back for. Right? I'm rolling up my sleeves. I, uh, another tra- uh, translation in the modern vernacular is buckle your seatbelts. When I think of buckle your seatbelts, I think of the story of Job. Why? I'll get there. Job was someone who was pleasing to God. Read the beginning of Job. Job chapter 1. Job was the most pure or holy man on the face of the planet. Right? God is in heaven bragging about Job to everyone else. All the angels, everyone else, he's like, oh, man, look at Job. Man, he is the man. God is bragging about Job. So that means he's holy. He's, he's pure. He's doing the right thing. And you read, right, once everything is taken away from him, what does Job say? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's doing everything right. It says that all throughout the, cha- all the chapters of Job, it says that he never cursed God with his lips. He was pure. His mouth remained pure in all these things. And yet, towards the end of the book, when it says that God's presence finally showed up in a whirlwind, what was the very first thing that Job heard when God's presence showed up? Gird yourself like a man. Buckle your seatbelts, Job. We're going to find some more things to deal with. Even though you were the most pure and holy man on the face of the planet, and you did not curse me with your lips... There is still a whole lot in your life that needs to be purified. I don't know if that sounds very encouraging to you or not, but that means everyone in this room, we all have some work to do. We all have some trimming that needs to happen, some pruning, right? I I, I love that Jesus says that um, he's the vine, we're the branches. As we abide in him, as we just spend time with him, as we worship him, as we did this morning, we're just having this great, sweet fellowship. And we begin to grow and grow in maturity in our faith. And we begin to bear fruit. And then it says that his father in heaven prunes. And it says he cuts off branches that bear no fruit. But it also, if you go to the analogy of a grapevine, a grapevine that has green leaves but actually never bears fruit, it needs to be pruned. In fact, where it begins to grow, if I, I, I'm not a 
horticulturalist. I'm not a, I don't have this great green thumb, but from what I understand um, from grapevines is that grapevines, um, they get these long, is it tendrils? Or I don't know what you call them. These, they, they start to stretch out and twine around things. And at some point they overextend themselves. And so they need a pruner to come and cut back those things so they actually bear more fruit. If a vine doesn't have a vine dresser, it actually will not bear its full potential. Uh, Jen and I, for one of our date nights uh, earlier this year, we went to, not this, Huntington Gardens. And we went and saw there was like thousands of kinds of different rose bushes there. And we were talking to a guy that, that worked there, and he was saying, oh, it takes tens of thousands of volunteer hours to come here and cut back these rose bushes. He's like, that 10-foot rose bush you see, he goes, in a couple months, we'll cut that down to two feet. We'll cut eight feet off of that rose bush because if we don't, it won't reach its full potential. It actually needs to be pruned to be healthy. That is what God is saying about you and I. (laughs) In order for us to be truly healthy, we need to be pruned. We need to be trimmed. And so I'm telling you, when is the last time you felt God pruning or trimming you. If it's been a while, like your pastor, then you are not truly healthy. You are not bearing all the fruit you are meant to to bear. So praise God we have a vine dresser, a father in heaven who loves us enough that wants to prune us and trim us and transform us. I love this phrase. Oh, I have scriptures for it, and I don't know if I'll find them, so I'll just, I don't know. You guys know these well enough. If you grew up in the church, you'll know this. If not, it's great. Um, it says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, right? If you read different translation, it says that we've been transformed, right? That when you gave your life to Christ, you were transformed like a butterfly, right? That you used to be this fat, ugly caterpillar, and God transformed you into this beautiful butterfly, right? You were transformed. That you and I, when Jesus When God the Father sees us, he sees us through the blood of Jesus. That we are holy and righteous. Even with a sin nature, even with stuff hanging onto our lives, we are transformed. And we are beautiful, as, as you heard Nick say during worship. What pleases him? You do. You please the Father. Even with all your warts and hang ups and ugliness, you still please him. Because he sees you as transformed under the blood of Jesus Christ. So you and I, if we are in Christ, we are transformed. But there's another verse. Again, I have it in here and I'm not even going to look it up. There's another verse that says that when the trumpet blasts and Jesus returns, it says that we will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. So you're going to be asked a question. So the question is, are we already transformed or one day will we, will we be transformed? Yes. yes. All right. At the same time, what does Romans 12 say? Romans 12, verse 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. (laughs) So wait a second. Are we already transformed? We will be transformed? Or is it up to us to be transformed? Yes. Yes. It's all God's work. I cannot make myself beautiful. Only God can. He does that through Jesus' blood, through his sacrifice. And yet, there's in between me being transformed one day where I can see Jesus face to face with no hindrance whatsoever, there is this process while I'm here on earth where it's up to me to work out my salvation, to trim myself, to be pre-cut. I want to be prepared for all that God has. I have my own responsibility to prepare myself. God is the one who transforms me. I can't do that on my own. But I have a responsibility to prepare myself. Does that make sense? 
I was even thinking about the story of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I will not say their names different like Pastor Greg does. Um, <laughs> but I was thinking about that story that Greg shared, right, last Sunday. And, and it says this, I don't have it up, really quick. In, in Daniel chapter 3, it says this, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. In fact, he will rescue us from your power. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. I love that. They were prepared and declaring that God was going to save them. And yet, as you read the scripture, it says they were prepared for any outcome. They were prepared. God, we are believing you're going to save us. And even if you don't, we're still prepared. I wonder if that's how we could define our lives. That we are prepared for any outcome. We are so living to worship God, as we just sang this morning. That to live, I just live to worship you, God. No matter the outcome of my situation, I'm going to live to declare the goodness of God in the land of living. I'm going to declare his promises. I'm going to believe for miracles over and over and over again. But even if they don't come, oh man, I'm going to worship you, God. It's going to be good no matter what. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were prepared. I love what Greg said. It was, it was powerful. That Jesus was already in the fire before they got there. Right? That's so good to know that we have a God in heaven who's prepared for everything. He's prepared for all of our mistakes. He's a God that says that he prepared good works beforehand that we get to walk in them. It says that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the earth. He was prepared to give his life before Adam and Eve ever committed a sin. He has a solution before a problem ever arises. He's always prepared. We have a God who is prepared for everything. And if we are called to be like him, I'm not the one who performs miracles. I am not omnipotent where I can do whatever God can do. But I want to be like him in that I am prepared for anything. God, I am believing you're a God of miracles, so I am expecting you to do a miracle. But even if it doesn't happen the way I'm expecting, I'm prepared regardless. I'm going to worship you the same if I get what I want or I don't. My worship will not change. I am prepared to worship you either way, God. That's the kind of heart I want. That when I come, as Pastor Greg challenged us, that when we wake up in the morning, God, what do you want? My heart is just in this place that I'm a servant that I have this lowliness of mind that I'm just submitted. My heart is cut. I'm prepared to do whatever he wants, not what I want today. It's already been predetermined. I live to worship you, God. I live to do whatever you want, not what I want. Your will be done, not my will be done. And yet, I know his will. His will all throughout scripture is to save is to heal, is to deliver. He makes it clear. So I'm going to keep declaring those things. And when I don't see it happen the way I think it should, I'm still prepared. Hmm. I had this statement. I, I'll read it. 
Can your childlike wonder and love for God bear any circumstance that comes your way or outcome in life? I was thinking about this. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love, right? The love chapter. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That's the kind of beautiful bride I want to be. That I love God with all my heart, soul, and strength, but I do it with this verse. I believe all things. Uh, Jen and I were talking about this. I think one of our kids, we were listening to a song on our vacation. A song came on and it reminded one of my kids of a family member that passed away a few years ago. And they just began to weep and we just started talking about how it's okay to remember and to be sad and to go through the grieving process. That's not evil, it's not wrong. But it would be wrong to say we prayed for a miracle and because it didn't happen in our life, well, I'm gonna stop praying as fervently for miracles in the future. That would be wrong. Because love believes all things, hopes all, I, all things, not most things, all things. That my heart is so soft and tender towards who God is that he has this heart to heal. And so my heart, even though I didn't experience the healing I wanted and I begged and I cried God for, I didn't experience it in my life, but it does not change that I'm still going to believe and hope and endure whatever pain I have to go through to keep believing that he's going to do it this time. I go back to that Revelation chapter 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to make this too in the flesh. But I, you look at women who have a beautiful smile. They are attractive. I, 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 I try to be careful. Apart from all the other body features that men are attracted to. There's something about a beautiful and radiant smile. When I see a woman who is actually happy and enjoys life, right? We hear that statement, happy wife, happy life, right? There's something about when my, when my wife is actually loving life and she's happy, oh, it just, it satisfies something deep within me. I want to be the same for my father in heaven, for my bridegroom, Jesus, it says that to be beautiful and radiant, I have to rejoice, I have to be glad at all times. It's not a sin, it's not wrong to be sad or to go through difficulty, but it would be wrong if I didn't learn how to rejoice in that difficulty. It's my duty, it's my calling to be a beautiful, radiant bride. To exude and shine the goodness of God, just the glory of God. And I, I, these may not sound like, I don't know, religious terms. I don't mean it that way. I want to get away from that. I, it's this, just that my heart is so anchored in the goodness of God that the goodness of God just radiates out of my life. That nothing can rob the joy that I have. That he is so perfect. He's so good. That even when I'm in pain, even when it doesn't make sense, my mind can't fathom and can't reason that this is a good situation. My mind doesn't have to dictate my rejoicing. 
It's deep within my heart. I know who God is in my heart. He's a good, good father. And I will rejoice and be glad. I will serve him with gladness. Even when he's correcting and rebuking me. Even when he shines a light and shows me where I'm wrong. I don't live under shame and guilt and condemnation because that's not who he is. As I shared that, I was reminded of you and just as I saw kids leaving, I can tattle on my kids while they're not here. While we're on vacation, I heard two of my kids apologize to another kid, right? It started with one. They said, hey, I'm sorry. It was something they did the day before or something like that. They said, hey, I just want to say, I'm sorry. I was thinking about what we did and I don't want to make you feel that way. So I'm sorry. And as they said that, the sibling standing next to them said, they caught on. And you know what? I did this too. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Can I tell you, we were just on a hike. They had no idea I was listening. But to hear my own flesh and blood kids have a heart for each other and want to make things right, I'm weepy right now because it it was beautiful to hear my kids where I wasn't the one telling them to say you're sorry. They did it on their own. Ah, music to my ears. But what I got even more weepy thinking about this morning as we were spending time in prayer, different situation maybe a couple weeks ago, being careful to say who, but I only got four kids, so at some point you probably figure some of them out. But I had two siblings, two of my kids come to me, one first, of course, right? One's always going to tattle on the other one. And so as they're coming to tattle, they already know this is how I deal with my kids, correcting my kids. As soon as they come and tell me the other person's wrong, I say, ah, stop, stop. I don't want to hear what they did wrong. I don't want to know all the details. I don't, I don't really care what happened in that room. I, I wasn't there. I want to know what did you do wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. They're the one. That's why I'm coming to tell you, Dad. It's injustice. They they did this to me. And I was telling this one child, okay, but what did you do wrong? And they, again, defensive, like their dad, defensive. Well, I mean, I did this one little thing. And then they did this, right? I mean, right? And so then the other kid came in the room. Same thing. I don't want to hear what they did wrong. You tell me. And, And it was defensive. All I got was defensive, and it was just hard hearts. And again, it wasn't this big deal. It was a small little thing, but they just got on each other's nerves, right? And so right now they're defending themselves. But I praise God. I'm going to share this as a testimony. I hope you hear this. This is not me patting myself on the back at all. It's the goodness of God. In that moment, I didn't want to hear the details, and I didn't want to correct and reprimand and tell them they're wrong and be harsh and spank anybody. I didn't want to discipline. What I cared about was their hearts. In that moment, I saw hardness. I saw coldness, and that grieves my heart. And so as a dad, I finally, I used scripture. I said, you're stuck with your dad being a pastor. I said, so I started preaching at him. And I praise God, it wasn't just preaching and giving guilt and shame. It was the goodness of God on his word. That is the word of God, the word of truth came to them. I saw my two children melt under the truth of God. And I saw their hearts grow soft. Again, it wasn't this huge ordeal, but they stopped defending themselves. They stopped being cold towards each other. 
And with tears in their eyes, without me having to tell them, you have to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. They wanted to say I was wrong. They wanted to own, and they were brokenhearted over what they did themselves. They were no longer worried about the injustice of what their sibling did. They saw what they did, and they were brokenhearted. And I prayed that this morning that somehow God would do the same thing again in this room. That it wouldn't be me being a good pastor or a good dad. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the goodness of God. That he's a God that cares about our hearts. And he wants to give us hearts of flesh. Hearts that are soft. He has no pleasure in bringing up all the junk in our life. That brings him no pleasure. But to see a heart that is yielded to him. That says, God, I want to be trimmed. I want to be transformed. I welcome your discipline. It's his kindness. It's his gentleness that will lead us towards repentance. It's not his harsh rebuke. I've been a dad who've done, I've done harsh rebuking. I've yelled at my kids and said, what is wrong with you? Right? That's come out of my mouth. It did not lead my kid towards repentance. They were wrong and they needed to be confronted. But I'll tell you, it was in that moment I can picture it in the kitchen when I was talking to my, I'll say it, my two boys. When they saw their dad's heart going after their heart, that's what made them yield to each other. That's what made them own what they did wrong. It wasn't a harsh dad pointing out where they're wrong. It was a dad that was hurt and cut towards their coldness of heart. And I hope that somehow is here in this room, that the Father heart of God is here, and He's not angry or brash. It's He's cut towards areas in our life where we keep making excuses. We keep saying, Yeah, but I'm not as bad as that. He's like, I could care less if that person did that. I care about the beauty that radiates out of you. I'm coming back for a beautiful, radiant bride. And this area of your life is not radiating beauty. Oh, man, I had tons of other verses. But Holy Spirit, what do you want to do this morning? We just want to know your heart. God, I want to be like David. I want to be a man after your own heart. Would you refine me, God? There is dross. There is impurities in my life. I want to be holy just as you are holy. So Holy Spirit, I yield. I yield. I stop defending myself. Yeah, there's some of you as the worship team comes on up. You know, it took King David to commit adultery and murder to finally hear a prophet tell him he was wrong. 
I don't want to get to that point. I don't want it to get to some drastic, horrible thing that I commit, that finally I have ears to hear. I want it to be the slightest thing. I want my heart to be so in tune with the Father's heart. They can be just the tone of my voice, not even the words that came out of my mouth, but the tone or the attitude that, God, that was not pleasing to you. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? God, may we be prepared. You're wanting to bring a revival. You're wanting to bring a beautiful, radiant bride that just shines. And God, it starts with purity. So Lord, that's the title of this morning's message. May it be the title of my life. May it be the words written over my heart right now. That I long to be trimmed and transformed for purity. That whatever breaks your heart, break my heart, God. A broken and a contrite heart, you will not ignore, God. As David said in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Filled with clean thoughts and right desires, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O God. Restore unto me the joy, the beautiful, radiant joy of your salvation. And then I, a sinner, will be able to teach others your ways. Because of the joy of my salvation, the joy, the radiant glory and beauty coming out of my life will be attractive that others will want what I have. The purity I exemplify. The humble heart. The brokenness. That I'm prepared for whatever comes my way. I can let all my requests be made known to you, God. And I'll keep praying and believing for miracles. But even if I don't get what I want, as long as I please you in the process, it is well with my soul. Because that's the deepest longing in my heart, God, is just to please you. Hmm. So we're going to close with one last worship song, but I just felt like if you need prayer over anything, and specifically whatever the Holy Spirit Maybe you, Holy Spirit has put something on your heart. There's something you need to be forgiven of. There's somebody you need to forgive. There's some kind of sin that has entangled you and slowed you down. We just want to pray with you. We want to see you set free. We want today to be a sweet Sunday where we get to go enjoy the fellowship of one another and enjoy the communion and fellowship of our Father in heaven who delights over us. So was, I don't even know what song we're singing. We've seen this last song. Just come forward if you need prayer. So would you stand in leadership? Come on forward. And as you're standing, you want prayer? Come on up and join us for prayer. And I'll close the service in just a second. Purify my heart. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold. Precious silver, pure.
Let's read to you again our theme verse for the year, 1 Peter 1, 13. But I'll read you just a couple of verses. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, that's you and I, not conforming yourself to the patterns of this world, as in, in, as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your ways. Because it is written, be holy just as I am holy. God, we say yes and amen to your word. We choose to be holy. We choose to walk a transformed life. We choose to grow from glory to glory. We choose to yield to your conviction, Holy Spirit that wherever you convict us, we will be quick to respond and, and repent and allow your love to flow and heal and restore. God, we choose to be a beautiful, radiant bride. We choose to put on the garments of praise, the oil of gladness, and adorn ourselves with beauty, that we would be attractive to you. And just as Jesus, you were attractive to sinners, God, our good works will be attractive to the world around us, that they would bring glory to our Father in heaven. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. Well, God bless you.